My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. When we think of our life with the Messiah, what, what comes to mind? Well, we should recognize that he is, he is our life. Without him, you know, we were dead in our trespasses and sins. We have the foretaste of, of the blessings. We have fellowship. We have just the joy, the, a heart that loves the scripture. All because of Messiah? What's that? All because of Messiah? All because of Messiah. Yeshua, Messiah, King of Kings, Lord of Lords, yo. It's Wednesday, March 27, 2019. This is Messiah Matters number 259. We're already halfway into a conversation over here. My name is Caleb Hegg. And I'm Rob Vanhoff, getting ready to go to Israel. Woohoo! And enjoy some travel in the land and giving a paper at Hebrew University. Okay. I so- learned the same building, too. What's that? It's a really cool building. I'll. If I hadn't posted a picture, I'll put it on our Facebook page. You are super loud. Hang on just a second. Stop screaming, man. Say something again. Check. Testing. One, two, three. Okay. Testing. So right before we came on air, basically what we were talking about was, I'm so as everyone I think knows, I've been doing work in the book of Acts due to the uh, small group that I uh, help lead on uh, Saturdays. And uh, so I have come to a second time to this word proselytes in Acts. Now, we just start uh, this week. My group will start Acts 6. And I thought we were going to finish Acts 6 this week. In fact, I thought we were going to do the whole chapter in one week. But then I notice, of course, the second use within the book of Acts of the word proselytes. Proselytes, I think everyone can pretty much figure it out, means proselyte. And well, that <laughs> proselyte is a translation of proselyte. Yeah, it doesn't I translate it. I understand. It I get it. But it's only found f- four times in the apostolic scriptures. Matthew, yeah, Luke and once in Matthew. Right. So I mean, Luke, well, Acts, but I mean by Luke. Yeah. Uh, Luke uses it three times in Acts, and then he uses it. And then Matthew uses it once in uh, Matthew 23, 15. So I, the question that I had to Rob before we came on air was, does basically what do you think the tra- what what would it be translated what would be a good translation of proselyte because there's different so for instance Ben Witherington uh, based on other scholars says it's probably just well yeah that's a good so there's a lot of different uh, there's a lot of different things that could be said um, my father I had the same conversation with my dad this morning he said he thinks it means non-citizen however I think I disagree with that. Now, uh, he's done extensive work on this um, in other areas, which he couldn't find. So he needs to look at his, you know, he needs to look at his final conclusion before he, before, you know, he was to make a conclusive, this is what I think it means. The reason I don't think it means citizen is because we have Jews within Israel, Judea, Jerusalem, whatever you want to say, um, who I don't think had Roman citizenship. I don't think they were considered proselytes. In other words, the Judeans that were in Judea 
and the Jews around Jerusalem who lived there were not considered proselytes, in my, at least from what I've... Oh, right. I, I would agree with that. So, and then not only that, but like, so for instance, Matthew says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you travel across sea and land to make a single proselytes. And when he comes, and when he becomes a proselyte, a proselytes, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourselves. I'm not actually looking at, I think the, uh, I think it's not proselytes there in either of those. Uh, proseluton in one of them. Proselutas. Well, it's just in a different case. Proseluton yeah. is just the accusative, yeah, yeah, yeah. but it's the nominative is proselutas. But here's something interesting. Okay. So I mean, and I think there's there's like been dis, you know doctoral dissertation work on on this term, like in the Second Temple period. There's but a lot. Of, there's if, a lot of there's a lot of work done in in rabbinical texts. But I don't care what the rabbis say. No, if you look, I'm later. talking about the Greek term here. Right. Like, for example, if you look at the Septuagint, Exodus 12, and and it uses proselutas. If any proselutas should draw near to keep the Pasch of the Lord, you shall circumcise every male of his. So he's a proselutas before he circumcised. It looks like there's no doubt that in the and then it, and then in verse 49, there shall be one law for the local inhabitant and for the guest who is drawn near and and what what the the greek is doing it's using the word proselutas in parallel with the verb proserchomai to draw near in other words it's because they sound like pro uh proselthonti he has drawn near the proseluta so um but, i guess i guess what i'm but wondering then, is but just real one, one more point but then even in the same book, in the Exodus, the Septuagint, it says, you will not oppress the guest or the proselytos, for you know the life of a proselytos, because you yourselves were proselytoi in the land of Egypt. I completely agree. And I think that, and I, my father's done work on this in Fellow Heirs, on what does proselytos mean in, in uh, um, essentially in the Septuagint. But my question is: Is do you think that the that the term is being used a little different? Has the term changed a bit? Yeah. Well, it has to have more. It has more than one meaning because I I don't think that Exodus twenty three nine um, is suggesting that um, someone's converted. <laughs> that yeah, that Israelites abandoned the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and started worshiping the gods of Egypt. Uh, right. This is the word Gerim in in the in the original. Okay. But the question here is this, it can mean more than one thing. So it can mean that, but it's, I think it's foreigners who have abandoned whatever they grew up in, whether it was, you know, Agreed. whatever kind of religion or ancestral tradition they were immersed in, they've abandoned that. And they're, they're clinging to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I don't believe it means convert to Judaism because that is loaded with, too much baggage. The idea of convert. Well, what I can tell you, you know, I even found this in a in a. I was looking through different church uh, churches locally here and looking at their statement of beliefs. Yeah. And I found one that had this like fifty page thing. I was reading through it, and they were talking about baptism, and they quote the Talmud. Oh, and this is in Jesus' day. You know, he had to be circumcised. He had to do an immersion, and he had to offer a sacrifice. And the immersion is the and he's and they used the Talmudic description of rabbinic conversion import that into the first century and say that's and then they they would read they would say oh 
I know exactly what it's talking about here in in uh, Matthew 23 or in in Acts 2. It's a it's a person who has uh, been circumcised, been immersed, and have offered a sacrifice, and now their right. their religion is called Judaism, and that's that is such a wrong way to frame it because it it upholds the wrong categories. There's better there's there's way better um, clarifying uh, framework for us to understand what's going on here. Um, so anyway, that's my thought. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, I, I, I got to study it. Um, well, welcome everybody. Welcome everybody in the chat room. Good to see everybody's already talking. Um, yeah, we have a packed show today because after today we're taking one, at least one, maybe two weeks off. It's been quite a while since we've had a break, and when we haven't had a break in a while, I start to get burnt out, and I don't not on like not like I'm tired, like I need a nap, kind of burnt out. It just needs refreshing. Yeah, I just need to sit with my thoughts for a little while. Um, so actually, this Sunday, uh, this Monday, this coming Monday, I am going to head down and uh, uh, to Olympia, and I'm going to um, partake in a Ligonier Ministries uh, training course on expository teaching by Steve Lawson. I'm extremely excited to meet uh, Dr. Lawson and, and uh, hear him teach for three days straight. And then on the Wednesday that it's finished, I will come home from Olympia and uh, pack the car up and leave instantaneously to go over to your neck of the woods and uh, have a little vacay with the family and some good friends. And then the next week you will probably be, you will still be in Israel, I believe. And so we'll see. I don't know. It depends how much refreshing we get and whether or not we can connect. We might have a show. We might not in two weeks. But uh, so, so this show is going to be a good Stay one. Stay tuned. That's right. Um, and so, yeah, that doesn't mean that you shouldn't Call our comment line and shoot us emails, 253-465-3205, 253-465-3205. Call us while we're gone to let us know all the things that are on your mind that you want us to talk about when we come back. You can also shoot us email, chegg.torresource.com. It's C-H-E-G-G at torresource.com. And yes, sir. All right. Um, <laughs> uh, the name of this show that I have chosen I choose these usually about five minutes before the, uh, the the show notes go out. You can subscribe to our show notes in the description on YouTube or on TorahResource.com. I chose, is polygamy permitted in the Bible? That is literally the message that I got. So I thought, well... well that, that was the, the title of the email or whatever that was the... No, that was the body of the email. Oh. <laughs> that was the email. Um, <laughs> and somebody... Peter in the uh, in the chat room says one wife is enough for me. No doubt, no doubt. Um, we'll talk about that later. That's uh, that's coming up first. Let's uh, let's talk about this wonderful. We got this email from Julie. Julie uh, has been a student at Torah Resource Institute, um, and she lives in New Zealand. Aren't they called Kiwis there? Kiwis, yeah. Um, anyway, she says this, she says, I was listening to the Messiah, to Messiah matter, to a Messiah matter show from a couple weeks ago. And there was someone in the chat room called Chris from New Zealand. 
I was really glad to hear a fellow Kiwi, haha, I was right, listening in and wondered where he was from. I haven't been brave enough to get up in time to enter the chat room as it is around 5 or 6 a.m. in New Zealand when oh. the show broadcasts. That's early. Good gracious. Um, yeah, I wake up that early, but it is early. I wouldn't wake up that early to hear our show. <laughs> I'd wake up for I wake up for other reasons, not to listen to podcasts. Um, anyway, this morning I was dropping my husband and daughter off at the bus stop about a mile from our home, and a car pulls up behind me, and a guy comes up and asks me about the, my Torah Resource bumper sticker. It's Chris from the chat room. Turns out he lives only a couple blocks from me here in Wellington. <laughs> That'd be funny. You yes. said, uh, "I know you." Uh, you saw me on the chat room. <laughs> wow. I know. Exactly. That is so amazing. Two of the 36 right there in Wellington. That's that's classic. And actually, um, Chris is in the chat room right now. Oh, Chris. And right he says, on. yes, it's early. <laughs> ah. so oh. They're not quite, yeah. They're not quite as, I thought they must be just this side of the, Dateline or whatever they call it. I've thought about moving to New Zealand. I really have. thought about it? I have thought about recently too. Okay. Somebody wrote in and said that they don't like the fact that we're we're like a a talk show or that we talk too much. But you know what? I'm going to talk anyway. So I I have a phobia. A lot of people know this about me, but I have a genuine phobia of snakes. It's not like a, I don't like snakes. I have a phobia of snakes and I'm very happy to live in a place where there are almost no snakes. Now, I found out that my next door neighbor, they, they have a couple snakes that they keep as pets, which there has to be some mental disease for people like this. Anyway, not the point. So the other day they tell me, oh yeah, we found like a two foot long snake in the middle of the road in front of your house the other day. What? That was, that was not one of their pets? Not one of their pets. <laughs> I said, what? They said, yeah, it's not indigenous to the, this, these parts. So, so it must have been somebody's pet. But we think a, 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 like a bird picked it up. Oh, it was dead. It was dead. No, it was not dead. They took it and put it with their other snakes. They kept it as a pet. Wow. I have seriously thought about moving since then. But even before then, I found out that New Zealand does not have any snakes indigenous to New Zealand. Wow. And that is my kind of place. That's there you go. There you go. A place hey, where on, yeah. Regarding yeah. funny emails. Yes. I got an email from someone named Josh. I think okay. he's from Wisconsin. Yeah. And he was listening to our show. It was just a great email. It was like I was he was telling how we when we were talking about like when I was a kid and we'd family vacation and my brother and I'd sit in the back of the, <laughs> of the station yeah. wagon looking yeah. the other way, yeah. watching drivers. He's like he had a story of his own about that. And I thought that was really funny. Was <laughs> yeah. You guys, uh, you guys out there, your emails are such a, such a yeah, it's good refreshment. Okay. Let's get to it. We got a lot to talk about here. Uh, we already talked about so, Oh, but one other thing too, PJ had a really good idea. It's like giving me like two minutes where I can turn on the chat room and, and flip through it without, <laughs> without, uh, danger of of getting caught not paying attention to caleb so i might try that later on today but i won't do it without warning yeah you gotta you gotta give me a warning first okay here we go (laughs) um this 
So last week we talked about um, whether or not a person could come back if they sinned, like what sins are unforgivable sins, right? And apparently, you know, we don't talk a lot about a lot of names, but I have to say, everyone, and we've gotten emails on this subject, everyone keeps bringing the same person up, Michael Rood. You know, I can't listen to 30 seconds of Michael Rood without hearing something that is factually not true. So I don't know why anyone even wastes their time. Seriously, the, the guy is not worth listening to at all. Now, I know a lot of people have come to whatever belief because they listen to Michael Rood. I've met Michael Rood many times. Um, but stop listening to Michael Rood. That's all there is to it. Just stop listening to Michael Rood. And this, this belief of his is confirmation. Apparently, he's teaching that uh, if you've done certain sins and have had the sin of the high hand, there's no coming back no matter what you do. Well, how does he, def- what does he define that as? I, I'm not going to spend any time listening to I, him, but so I, I'm just like. Somebody tried to send me a clip of Michael Rood. I'm done listening to Michael Rood. I got, a, I got an email from someone saying that they were afraid, they're part of a Shabbat fellowship, but they were watching him and some other, I don't remember who the other messianic quote unquote teacher quote unquote it was but they they said they believed they were going to hell because according to this person they um there was no repentance for them and i'm like do you want to repent (laughs) yeah like are you just saying this or do you actually want to repent but you you're afraid that god won't forgive you so yeah okay let's look at this real quick then Let's look at this. Um, this is an email that we got. And I. this might be Jason's email, actually. Uh, yeah, so this is Jason's email. He's in the chat room. And he says, uh, I know you ran out of time to answer my question. I was go- hoping you could take a few minutes on the next show. You were talking about the unforgivable sin. Is so, and so I was wondering if you could address the difference between the sin of the high hand and other sin. If someone does something with a high hand, can they come back? And where does that put someone in a congregation setting? Should a congregation bring the person back in with repentance? My other question is, if the sin that was done was done with a high hand, then in Yah's eyes, are they dead? Especially if if it's a sin that is deserving of death. That would be a sin leading to death. Okay. There's a lot going on in this email. Yeah, there's a lot. There's There's the nature of sin and, and... Redemption needs well, and to the, be and then community matters. Look, what a community does is up to them. Community, every community is going to be different, and the way that, that leaders uh, deal with community is going to be different. This is why it's important to make sure to choose a, a community that that you um, are going to put yourself under the leadership. But your community doesn't decide whether you're going to hell or not. No, of course not. But the point is, but I think people, I, I think people, well, like the guy. Okay, there's a guy who's watching. Uh, let's imagine someone's watching YouTube and they hear a messianic quote unquote teacher and then they look at their own life man they're going I'm going to hell because what this guy just said if you know and he's he's all authoritative and I did x y and z therefore there's no place for repentance for me that's what seems like that's happening so it's not even in a community they're giving authority to someone on the YouTube over their like their viewpoint of like whether they're saved or not that's 
Okay, hang on just a second. Let's break this down real quick. First of all, what is the sin of the high hand? In my opinion, the sin of the high hand is doing something that you know, like basically, God, I know you said not to do this, but I'm going to live in sin. I don't care. I defy God. That is the sin of the high hand. Now, that could be anything. That could be living in adultery and saying it doesn't matter. That could be, um, you know, continuing to, uh, I don't know lie about a situation, whatever, you know, court proceedings are going on and you continue to, to give false witness, uh, knowing and basically saying, I'm going to do it even though I know God doesn't, you know, I do well, it in, in defiance of God. It's continued defiance. It, exactly. Yeah. It, it's yeah. Now I think people think they did one thing knowing that it was then, a sin. And they think that now that that was the sin. Oh, I sinned the sin of the high hand. If you're thinking that to yourself, you didn't do it. If you're thinking the thought, man, I sinned, I think I sinned the sin of the high hand, then you're already in a space of, of repentance. You're, you're, you're already turning. This, if you're really the sin of the high hand, you're not thinking about repentance. <laughs> well, not only that, but what is repentance? True repentance comes through the Holy turning, Spirit. Turning back. Turning yeah, back. but it comes through the Holy Spirit. And the point is, <sighs> is that the, whole, the Holy Spirit works in us to give right. us true repentance. The Father will never say no to the Holy Spirit. If you turn in true repentance to the Lord and say, Lord, help, the Holy Spirit will always get the answer of yes from, from the Father, always. Because it's the, it, it is the Holy Spirit that turns our hearts to repentance, and it is the Yeshua who allows us, his blood allows us to come in repentance, and the Father to allow us to be accepted. And we have to remember that nobody... It's salvation is not an earned work. It's not like, oh, you know, my sin, boy, yeah, I, I might have sinned a lot in my life, but, you know, I'm, I'm much in a better position because that guy, man, he sinned the sin of the high hand. And so I don't know if he's saved or not. Right. But me, I know I'm good. If, if that, there's not like a relativiz uh, relativization going on that's that's not god's view of things the the question if a person would be cut off are they dead no they're not dead a person is dead when they're dead even in god's eyes they're still a living person but the the point is is that and look i'm i'm always wondering about this being cut off because essentially if if you get leprosy what happens you get put outside the camp right you're cut off from your people essentially um so, and that's not necessarily anything that the person's done. The point is, is that you root out sin from your midst. That's up to a congregation. There are some things that even if repentance happens, you're not going to have peace within a community. If one person commits adultery with another person in a community, and that'll ruin a family. You're not going to go worship with people. Every time you see the person, you think of, of you know, your spouse uh, committing adultery. It just doesn't work like that. You have to, you have to separate from that. And that's what sin does. Sin, sin will make you have to separate. So it's up to a community on, on whether or not a person is allowed back into a fellowship. That doesn't mean that they're not allowed back into the good graces of the almighty. If they come with true repentance, I hope that answers the question. Um, yeah. Should we move on? Sure. Okay. Unashamed of Jesus writes, great episode, guys. However, I have a question. You guys admitted you are Calvinists. <laughs> admitted as if it's something we're ashamed of. Uh, no, I proudly stand as a Calvinist. 
Uh, you guys admitted that you were Calvinist. However, you both said anyone can come to repentance. Doesn't that contradict your Calvinistic position? No, it absolutely does not. And this shows a lack of understanding of, of Calvinism. And this is one reason people should listen to R.C. Sproul. R.C. Sproul just had such a, a eloquent and beautiful way of explaining the doctrines of grace in a way that I don't think others have in, in our modern age. He uh, was able to speak directly to the the scholar, but also able to speak to new believers all in the same sentence. Just an amazing feat. He was he was an unbelievable speaker. And uh, it was a sad day when he went to be with the Lord for us because um, we lost a, a wonderful expositor of the scriptures. With that said, within the doctrines of grace, take over at any time, by the way, Rob. Within the doctrines of grace, there are two kinds of calling. There is a general call, and this would be the call that we see in the Bible. When, uh, for instance, in Acts, there's we see a lot of them. They preached the word. Just and, repent and believe. Yeah, repent and believe. And what happened? 2,000 of them came to repentance, not the entire crowd. That means some were able to say no to that call, even though it was a general call. Anyone can come to faith. And what happens? 2,000 come to faith. And then there's the uh, inward call or the personal call, which is the Holy Spirit turning the heart to actually be able to say yes. So the general call is anyone can come, anyone can repent, repent, turn, Come to God. That's the general call. And this is why you are uh, liable for not repent, repenting. Because you have been given the opportunity. However, it is the Holy Spirit who comes and softens the heart and allows us to say yes to the inward call, which is, or even say yes to the general call. This, I mean, in my opinion, this is, this is one of the uh, 101 aspects of the doctrines of grace. So, what, and this isn't to put down the person who made the, co the comment, but this is to say that I think oftentimes when people rally against Calvinism or r rally against the doctrines of grace, not all the time, there are, there are good scholars who hold to Arminian theology, but often when people uh, try to push against the doctrines of grace, it's because they have not truly studied them or don't understand the doctrine itself. They're pushing against something thinking they know what it is. Oh, uh, Calvinism teaches that you're a robot. No, it doesn't. If that's what you think, you have not understood the doctrines of grace. Okay, anything else? Well, wow, I mean, it's a, it's... It is a one-on-one, but it's also profound, right? It's the oh, yeah. deepest teachings of, of the scriptures. You know, that I, I love it, it the way Paul puts it in Gala end of Galatians 2. He talks about, he says, Yeshua, who, who loved me and gave himself for me. Yeah. And that Paul can't talk about himself there apart from talking about Yeshua. He says, it's me, but it's, you know... It, it's not me, but Messiah in me, right? right. It's like he, he's, he doesn't see himself as separate from Yeshua. He sees himself as absolutely dependent on Yeshua and that there's uh, a sword that comes down with, with uh, non-negotiable terms, with obligations to serve Yeshua and to, to say, you know, 
to heck with the traditions of men, you know, and, and fear of man and, and the little club clubhouses in the Jewish world of, oh, you're not really a son of Abraham unless X, Y, and Z, or you're not really saved because you're a Gentile and all this stuff. And that kind of stuff just brought Paul to his, to his most fierce uh, roar, right? When he's defending the flock. And, uh, and it's awesome. And, and what that says to me, think about that. Paul, he could, people could say, oh, Paul was, should have been unsaved. I mean, look at what he did. He was there. They were, he heard, uh, you know, in Acts chapter seven, Luke records for us, um, Stephen's, uh, speech, you know, before the Sanhedrin. And he was there rooting on while people were stoning him. But we know Stefan's heart was, you know, Lord, let not this, you know, you know, he was, he, he was pure. His heart was pure before the Lord. And, but Saul of Tarsus is sitting there, right? And then he goes and gets letters so he can deliver more. And people say, well, if you just stop the timeline, right? If you just freeze frame right there, you go, man, that guy's going to hell. How could he come back from that? But then what, 20 years later, He's writing Galatians and he said, Yeshua loved me and gave himself for me. Yeah. Right? How can he do that? What he, he understands that Yeshua's love, it was outside of time. How, how could, because, you know, Paul has to reconcile his sin since Yeshua's ascension, right? Yeshua died, rose again, ascended. Paul knows the chronology and he knows right. what sin he was involved in for the how many, you know, a decade or more subsequent to that, persecuting people who confessed Yeshua, bringing them over to death. And then how can all of a sudden he write, he, he loved me and gave himself for me? That means Paul has reconciled that the sin and all the, all uh, the religious, religiously, uh, sprinkled rebellion against God that Paul was Saul of Tarsus was engaged in was paid for. That's why he understands a core word in this, what we we were talking about doctrines of grace. He understood grace. He understood that his place in the body of Messiah was not a function of how bad his sin was. It was not a function of how good he was. It wasn't a function of his ability to, to, be really smart and evaluate, hmm, do I want A or do I want B? It wasn't, a, it wasn't that he was a genius. Right. It was what Yeshua did. Yeshua purchased him. Yep. And, and that's such an important thing. That's why the doctrines of grace, that's why the word grace is there. Because we stand, and then in Romans 5, he talks about that. We stand in grace, Right. It's through Yeshua, by faith, we have access to this grace in which we stand, it says. So what does it mean that we stand in grace? It means our, our life, our continuity of, of existence here on this world, if you're in Yeshua, it's, he's defined that for you. That's why, that's why he says, don't worry. You can't, you can't, if you're worrying, God, God give, has given each one of us a measure of life that is independent of our worries about it, you know, and that's part of our discipleship is learning that and, and learning what grace is and learning that this is not where I look back and evaluate 
wow, look how, you know, I did this, this, and this, and therefore God saved me, or, or I had this knowledge, or I kept these commandments. Uh, that's, um, that's not the appropriate, uh, uh, perspective here. If we, if you want to grasp biblical theology. So Helen asks, uh, about a, um, what book by R.C. Sproul? Well, there's a lot of books by R.C. Sproul. If you want one on Reformed theology, that is the doctrines of grace, I would recommend what is Reformed theology, R.C. Sproul, 1997. Renewing your mind is good. The holiness of God is fantastic. Everyone's a theologian was a, one of his um, more recent books. Um, Knowing Scripture, Essential Truths of the Christians, uh, a Christian Faith, Willing to Believe, and, of course, Does Prayer Change Things, a book that I have gleaned from as well. These are only a couple. Here's of another books. one. is uh, the one that uh, your dad, Tim Haig, uses in the in an important class we offer at Torah Resource Institute. And it, it uh, one of the textbooks is R.C. Sproul, The Consequence of Ideas. Right. Uh, and it's based on on basics of philosophy. In other words, how do people build the maps for understanding the world? What presuppositions do we make um, when we interpret not not just text, but reality, when we interpret experience and things like that? Ideas matter, right? right. And, and, and he gets into that. We have a question about Revelations 3.5. How does this fit into Reformed theology? That's one I'll have to look up and get back to you on. Um, okay. Uh, okay. Should we uh, keep going? We have one more topic. It's our main topic. Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. Okay. So someone in the chat room uh, basically said, and we actually got emails on this too. Someone in the chat room brought up polygamy. This is something being pushed in the Hebrew Roots movement right now. I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. So, you know, for a very long time, I struggled with this. Um, and the reason why is because, well, first of all, you see the patriarchs obviously have um, multi- not all, right? Isaac didn't have multiple uh, wives, but uh, Abraham did, as did Jacob. Uh, David, Saul, right? Men after his own heart. But uh, there's multiple things that go on here. First of all, with the patriarchs, you can't make a rule from narrative. In other words, just because people did it doesn't mean that it's right. If that was the case, then then uh, adultery would be fine because David, even though he's a man after God's own heart, um, kills a man so that he can be with his wife. We know that this, even David admits, finally David admits, yeah, this wasn't right. I need to fall before the Almighty on my knees for this one. Um, and the the verse that's commonly referred to is in Deuteronomy 21. Now, um, there's interesting things about this, and I'm reading from the ESV. I'll read this portion. If a man has two wives, the one loved and the other unloved, and both the loved and the unloved have borne him children, and if the firstborn son belongs to the unloved, then on the, on the day when he assigns his possessions as an inheritance to his sons, he may not treat the son of the loved as the firstborn in preference to the son of the unloved, who is the firstborn. But he shall acknowledge the firstborn, the son of the unloved, by giving him a double portion of all that he has, for he is the firstfruits of his strength. The right of the firstborn is his. So this is not about marriage. This is about inheritance to children, 
right? This is, this is first the important thing to note, that this passage is not talking about marriage here. It's talking about inheritance. That's number one. Number two, if we look at the following verses, so if we go all the way through 23, look at how the other, uh, the other portions of this uh, begin. If a man has a stubborn and rebellious son who will not obey the voice of his father or the voice of his mother, and dot, 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 he goes on, this is how you discipline him. And then the last section, and if a man has committed a crime punishable by death, and he is put to death, and you hang him on a tree. So the surrounding context of this is not, oh, these are things that are accepted by God, and these are some situations you might get into. The surrounding context of each one of these is something has gone wrong. What's gone wrong? Well, the idea that he has two wives and one of them's hated, that's obviously not God's will. Right. And it's probably right. a situation where a guy had a wife he didn't like and somehow, you know, got another wife and now he's, he's, yeah. So it's already a dysfunctional situation. Right. And when we look at the patriarchs, every single time there are multiple wives, something has gone wrong. Oh, golly, yeah. There's never Just, a time when yeah. you can say, look at all the wives this guy's had, and it, he's so happy with all of them. Nothing has gone wrong. Like, like Leah and Rachel, for example. <laughs> yeah. There is they're like, always they're problems. Like manipulating behind, the back, uh, behind his back, you know, the whole time. Beyond yeah, this, we have, we have uh, what is marriage supposed to be? Why do we have marriage? Right. What Genesis. An, right. What an arbitrary thing if it's not from God. Well, it's from God because it's a picture of what? The Messiah and Israel. It's not the Messiah and, you know, tons of nations. Exactly. It's the Messiah and Israel. Israel is his bride. So the model of what a marriage should be is wrapped up in um, in the Messiah and his Kehilah. Now, I know what some people will say. David Instone Brewer, who's a, a, a good scholar, and, and uh, I've met him personally. He's a wonderful, wonderful man to sit and chat with, and very funny also. Um, he wrote a book on marriage in, in uh, the ancient Near East. He says, um, well, God did have two brides. He had yeah, yeah. Israel and Judah. <laughs> Which I, is funny because it's like saying that God had one bride, right? Which is Israel at Mount Sinai. And then at some point they split and became two different women. Right. And then God had God. Yeah. It's just so convoluted. cut her down the middle and you get half and you get. Yeah. Half. It's so it. And it's shocking that someone who with, uh, of such learning. I like in Stone Brewer, but yeah, I think he definitely got that one wrong. We've taught actually the unfortunate thing is, is that although I, I do enjoy his writing and I, you know, I really, really enjoy sitting down and chatting with with uh, Dr. In Stone Brewer. Um, I think the only time that we've ever brought him up on this show is when we've disagreed with him. Uh, he did something on the uh, on the four laws given in Acts 15, and he's talking about infanticide, um, and then uh, then this, you know, polygamy. And I think we've brought him up on something else as well. Uh, uh, well, didn't you? Did did we play an interview? Yeah, I, I I interviewed yeah. I interviewed him yeah, um, I so. in San Diego in 2014, I believe yeah. it was. Um, and once again, he, he was very gracious. I disagreed with some of the things he said in that interview, but, um, you know, I try to be, especially when interviewing people, I try to, I try to be a gracious host and interviewer and not, you know, theologically try to bash the person in front one of, of them. His big, one of his big, um, uh, areas of, of study 
is uh, arguing for or how to read rabbinic material and decide whether it is from the second temple period or right. whether it was later. Right. So in other words, he'll look, he'll read through a passage of the Mishnah, for example, and he'll say, okay, from here to here, like he'll like, you know, from here to here, like, let's say you got a blue highlighter. Well, he, he has a reason. I mean, that's for, that's, that's in second temple era, but this part is later. And then he has a method that he argues of how right. you can do that. Um, it's similar to, um, you know how they do that with the Torah, the JEDP kind of thing, right? Like the, like you have, the Torah is comprised of different la- different uh, source documents that were stitched together, and like this right. is from this source, and this is from another source. Um, so there's a lot of scholarship that tries to do that. And uh, we disagree with uh, Dr. Brewer, uh, Instant Brewer on on these uh, on these kind of issues. But with that said, it needs to be said. I very much appreciate and enjoy Dr. Instant Brewer. He gives in his books. He gives a lot of things that are worth contemplating, and a lot of things that even if we disagree with them, they he's such a good scholar that they need to be. You know, they you have to address uh, his arguments because his arguments are, are worthy of, of looking at. So cuz he's well very well read. Oh, he's, yeah. yeah, and he's a and he's a genuine he is very well learned as well. If you look at his resume of, of his uh, credentials, there he's he's put in some unbelievable hard work. Um, we're off in the weeds now from polygamy. Um, so let's get back with this. Uh, Jason in the chat room has initiated a super chat. So let's say thank you. You've been blessed. Back to polygamy. Um, the the uh, so with all of that said, context looked at with patriarchs and their situations looked at, um, you know, and then obviously Isaac, one one of the wonderful uh, examples of a one wife man in the uh, in the patriarchal system, um, he seems to have a very blessed marriage, right? Uh, things seem to go very well for him in his family life. Uh, and obviously, except for the fact that he chooses Jacob over Esau, the whole thing. But right. even then, he—I mean, even then—that this is of the Lord, right? Um, and this is my my son, six years old. He's just so sharp, um, you know. And he's asking, "Well, did God make Isaac choose Jacob, or was it deceit, or you know, all the?" I mean, I told my wife, our son is like a theological savant at this point. Okay, um, so. My father used to argue this. I didn't understand. Hey, FYI, I'm I'm I just logged into the chat. Okay, okay, there you go. Go ahead. We'll we'll let you we'll let you peruse for a few for a few moments. Um, and while he peruses, I'll bring up this point. He's already he's already, we've already lost Rob. Um, I like Rob the cow tipper first. Yeah, I second. <laughs> I love that. If you're not part of the chat room, it is really fun to watch. Anyway, okay. Um, my father used to bring up this passage in relation to polygamy. I never understood what he was talking about, and I thought it was a, a horrible passage to bring up. And then finally one day it clicked with me what he was trying to say. Um, you know, as children, a lot of the time when our parents speak, you know, and this happens to me theologically a lot of times, especially with the doctrines of grace. I, was a, I held Armenian theology all the way up until my early 30s, and then finally somebody else said exactly what my dad was saying, just in a little bit different way, but the exact same thing, and boom, the light bulb went on and, and it clicked. Um, this wasn't to say that my father was saying it wrong. 
in by any stretch of the imagination. I think it's just as children, we kind of get used to our, our parent the way that our parents speak. We need an outside voice to to kind of jog us a little bit. Um, well, this clicked finally with me. Matthew nineteen three through nine. I'll read it once again in the ESV. It says, And the Pharisees came up to him and tested him by asking, Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? He answered, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female, and said, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. They said to him, why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? And he said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, and marries another, commits adultery. So here's the question that I would have. Is it sexually immoral to lust after another woman? I think everyone's going to admit yes. So if it's if it's wrong to divorce your wife in or other to in order to go after another, then the question is: Is it immoral to sexually lust after another woman when you're still married to the wife that you have? How can you marry two people if you're not thinking of at least some form of sexual uh, uh, drive when, when you're looking at the new woman? You know, I and I've watched some of these uh, some of these documentaries and shows about the Mormon polygamists. It it just you know these guys are walking around holding hands with women that are not their wives yet. How is this okay? You know, and then the, it cuts to the women. Oh well, you know, we we want this for our family, but it's so hard to watch my husband, you know, chase after another woman. Well, why do you think that is? It's not natural. The fact of the matter is it was not like this from the beginning. The two shall become one. <clears throat> we have the example of the Almighty marrying Israel. He's a one-woman man. And Yeshua here tells us that uh, you're not allowed to divorce in, in, uh, your wife to lust after another. So certainly... It has to be the same that you're not allowed to lust after a woman when you're still married to your wife. So I think that the, uh, I think that marriage in general, when we look at marriage in general, what is it for? And people say, oh, well, you know, back then, you know, it was their culture. Well, of course, God's culture defies our own culture. We give up things that are our own culture. And one of those things is the idea that marriage is nothing more than a contract between two people. Is it a contract between two people? Yes, it's a covenant between three people, the husband, the wife, and the Almighty. But the point is, is that it's not just a contract. It's not just, I want, you know, I'm going to gain financially from this. Or, you know, I'll give you this bride price so that if I ever leave you, you know, I'm going to secure you financially and then if i don't hold my end of the bargain there's financial support for you over here that's not all it was it was a picture of what the almighty was with israel to all of a sudden try to muddle that with doing it differently than the picture does not represent true marriage because the true one marriage that we look at is that of israel and that of god of yeshua and the almighty 
That's all there is to it. That's what I think. What do you think? Good stuff. <clears throat> There's a lot of good questions in here. <laughs> yeah, I forgot you were in the chat room. <laughs> like, um, let's see here. So uh, Jeremiah asked two things. Were all the Israelites in the wilderness saved even after being struck down? Or they never really saved to begin with? And he asked another question. If David had died between um, that sin and had not repented, if David has, di has died, or had died is probably what he means, between that sin and had not repented, would he have been condemned? Now, uh, so again, the idea is what we, what we have to remember is that even you don't have to go to the apostolic writings to to see the profound contrast between God, what you were just saying, Caleb, God's culture, God's sovereignty, and our culture. Because look at is it in Second Samuel twelve or third? Well, it's when when the baby is born. Now, of course, the first baby that Bathsheba has with David dies, right? But then she gets pregnant again, and she has a baby, and they name him Solomon or Shlomo. And then Nathan the prophet names him uh, Yedidiah, right? Yedidiah. And it says the Lord loved him. And the question is, wait a minute, that doesn't compute. How, how can David do this evil? Like not only the adultery, but the basically murder of Uriah. Right. Taking his wife then. And then she has a baby. I don't care if it's the second, third, fourth, or seventh baby with David. Right. But it says right when the baby's born, he's given a name from the prophet, a second name, beloved of Yah. And it says, and then the Lord and the Lord loved him. So you have it in the name, Yadid Yah, beloved, hinting at the name David, right? And then you have, and it says the Lord loved him. This is because of God's election. This is has nothing to do with with David's righteousness. Right. However, it is true that David had completely repented at this time, and so if we were to hypothesize and say, okay, well, let's say he died, but in in the interim, well, he wouldn't have. It, it's a it's a fair question, but again, is it though? If Hang we on. understand God's sovereignty and and election of David and the purpose for which David was brought into the world, God was not going to cut David's life yeah. short yeah. Did, of, that, of that calling. If you believe that God holds our lives in his hand and that he has predestined that the, that the uh, Messiah is coming through David, then you have to say there's no possible way, no matter what, that David could have died in that interim. So, I mean, it's kind of, you can't, it's the hypothesis doesn't really work. Every uh, person, a, every person a, will die in there. I, one of the things I want to do, is I want to tie the sin of the high hand through to uh, polygamy. If we're going to take the patriarchs as the example, then I love to go to Aaron. Aaron's the priest of the Almighty. Aaron comes out, right? He goes through the water with Moses. He's been the mouthpiece of God to Aaron, right? He's spoken the words, okay? He comes through, they get to Mount Sinai, Moses goes up on the mountain. What does Aaron do? Oh, I collected, we threw the gold into the fire and the calf just jumped out. <laughs> no, he takes, he tells the people to give him gold. He beats the gold into a idol. 
He sets it up and he tells the people, let's worship this instead. Now, the question is, isn't this one of the worst offenses that you can do towards God? Idolatry? The answer is yes. But God doesn't strike him down. What does God do? Rob just saw Adam's joke in the chat room. Um, what does God no, do? He, he was building. We're having a little one-upmanship challenge here. Because I said, Le- levitate marriages for Hindu mystics. And then Adam says, levitate marriages uplifting. <laughs> Rob has an interesting... Sorry, Josh. He, I think it's probably the spell check. He, he typed leverate marriage, you know. Ah, uh, yes. And, and probably the spell check flipped it, you know. <laughs> anyway, and we're having fun with it. This is one of the reasons that Rob isn't allowed in the chat room is because he has all these jokes that he thinks is funny and no one knows what's going on. Okay. Anyway. I know, I know, Joshua. And he's trying to have conversations. This is the other thing. He's trying to have conversations with people in the chat room to you, the listener who has no clue what's going on in the chat room. Dude, you can't just answer people. How much delay is there anyway? Okay, I'm going to sign oh, out. Word. Thank you for this five minutes of fun. <laughs> uh, this this is the, the shining example of why Rob is not allowed in the chat rooms. I, I love it. It's, it's uh, I'm okay, I'm, I'm out. <laughs> Thank you for that. I might have to do that every once in a while. No, just to, okay, yes. Uh, okay, back to, back to your point. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he tries to bring it back. Uh, the point is, is that Aaron, my point was, is that Aaron is not, Aaron obviously is the high priest of the almighty. And I mean, he's the high priest all the way through and the high priest come out of his line. He continues to be the high priest after he sets up this golden calf. What do you, what, what, what? yeah, that's true. Well, the, the, exactly, exactly. Because the tabernacle was already shown to Moshe on the mountain before the sin. Right. So Moshe was up on the mountain. He was, like it says, the, you know, the pattern that I showed you on the mountain. He, he had it. He knew the measurements. He knew everything. He comes down, and they have, they have done this horrific sin. But once, once he forgives, right, he gets, you know, Moshe gets the second tablets. He declares his name, I am compassionate and gracious, right? That's the, that's what he, and he says, I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. Right. I will have grace upon whom I will have grace. And, and we talked about this in Shabbat lately, the last couple of Shabbats, because what does Moshe say when the Lord says, I'm going to destroy them and make a new nation out of you? This is a kind of a, a the first hint of a supersessionist idea. And Moshe right. says, no, you got you made a covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. And it's the only time in the Torah where you have Abraham, Isaac, and Israel rather than Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And why is that? Because these are three names that God gave. This is God's work. God right. is the one that said, call him, your name is Avraham. God's the one that says, you will name him Yitzhak. And God is the one who said, you are no longer Jacob, but you are Israel. These are the transformed uh, people, you know, that are called according to his his plan and his purpose. And so Moses takes it back to there and then boom, they start building the Mishkan right. as if there was not, as if there was no bump in the record. And, and Aaron and the Lord didn't sit there and go, man, we're going to build this, but boy, I'm not going to let you forget this golden calf thing. You know, I can't believe you guys did that, but go ahead. No, he's, it, it's amazing. It's an amazing story. Right. 
Okay, this has been a good chat, and everyone says in the chat room, we love you, Rob, come back, oh, good night, <laughs> thanks for the laughs, back to the show that Rob is meant to be paying attention to. Um, yeah, it's always fun for, for people to see Rob and jump in the chat room and make some jokes. So, hey, pr prayers for safe travel and yep. uh, protection. For both of us, but especially Rob, he's going to Israel. Blessing for Israel and for safe travel for Caleb and his family as they travel. Um, and and for the people at your congregation to be nice and not uh, throw you know, tomatoes they, when I when I present, you'll feel the love, Caleb. You'll feel the love. <laughs> and uh, of course, for my paper, my paper will be on that Monday, which I think is April eighth, Monday, April eighth, at Hebrew University. Yes. And they told they said that they're going to record all these and they're going to be on their their website. So I'm hoping that I will be able to share that link. Oh, be but, but, before, but beforehand, you can buy a ticket. Rob oh, has. Oh, that's right. Tomorrow night. Tomorrow night, Rob ha is going to present on um, March 28th, 2019. Right. Tour resource at 5 p.m. Pacific. And we've, we've got it slated for two hours. I don't know if we'll use the whole two hours, but we've got a presentation. It's basically a brief history of hebrew bible manuscripts right. we're going to look at stuff from the dead sea scrolls all the way into the early middle ages with the masoretic texts and i think and you don't have to know hebrew to take away good stuff from this you don't you don't have to know hebrew if you know even some of the alphabet i think you'll even get more out of it than someone who who doesn't but um if you're just curious about these things if you've ever asked questions like wow you know What's the difference between what's the Masoretic text or what's the Dead Sea? What are these Dead Sea Scrolls? You know, any kind of general questions like that. I think I think you'll get something out of it. I want to encourage everyone at this point to go to the Torah Resource Store and under other 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 materials, I believe you can um, see the new art for our executive producers for the spring quarter. It's, it's an awesome it's piece nice. of artwork that uh, that Michael did. It's based off of, well, maybe I shouldn't tell you what it's based off of. Is it old number seven? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Old 36. Old 36. Yeah. What a great. I think you put it in the Facebook. Someone posted it, I thought. I did. I posted it. But oh, yeah. yeah. Um, you can only get the you can only get the cup and the artwork if you uh, become an exec executive producer for a quarter and uh, we are very, we are very, very thankful. But whether you're going to become an executive producer or not, um, you can go and check out the art nonetheless. Uh, Michael did a fantastic job. All right, guys, we're off for at least one week, maybe two. We'll try to let you know if it's going to be two weeks. I'll send out. An if email. we do, if we do one the week after next, it would be probably a shortened uh, thing from with me in Israel right. and Caleb back in the office, and uh, we'll see how that goes. All right, guys. We always have fun with you. Nice to see everybody in the chat room. And uh, yeah, we hope that this conversation has done one thing. Send us emails and uh, message machines while we're, uh, you know, while we're gone. We hope this conversation has done one thing. That is to glorify our great God and Savior, Yeshua the Messiah. Why? Because Messiah matters. Mm -hmm.